Hey guys, and welcome to episode 37 of Underrated, a show where we look at films we believe are underrated, generally disliked, or simply forgotten. I'm your host, Gabriel Green, and I am here with my co-host, James Hamrick. How's it going, man? Pretty good. How are you? I've been a little bit stressed over the last week. Um, it feels like over the last five days, I've either been recording, watching a movie for the episode, or spending all day editing over the last two episodes we've uh, put out this week. But um, now that I've got that done, it's, it's, uh, it's slowing down a bit. It feels a bit better. Nice. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I only have to like find time to record and watch the movie. And I'm like, man, I've got to do a lot, and I don't have to touch editing, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so today, to celebrate the release of that uh, prestigious picture, Cars 3, um, we're going to look back to look at Monsters University, uh, the prequel to the much-beloved Monsters, Inc. Uh, before we get to that, I'd like to ask you guys, if you enjoy this show, to please take a moment to uh, rate and review us on iTunes. iTunes reviews make it easier for our new listeners to find us, so if you could do us a big favor and leave a short review with five stars, you'd be very, very grateful. And uh, before we move on, have you seen any cool movies uh, this week that you want to mention? Not cool, but I've seen a movie um, <laughs> by way of Rift Tracks, uh, which I've... My brother and I are just addicted to Mystery Science Theater and Rift Tracks, and I'm kind of debating if I should include all the movies I see like that on Letterboxd. If so, like it's about to go up <laughs> really high. But we will usually I don't mention them just because it's Rift Tracks. But I did want to mention one that we just watched called Rotor, and it may not be in terms of budget the worst movie I've ever seen even though it's probably still pretty close, but this may actually be the worst movie I've ever seen. (laughs) And it is pretty hilarious. Uh, So if anybody, like if anybody has Amazon prime, you should definitely check out the Rift tracks version of Rotor because it is hilarious. So is it just like two guys just talking about the film as it runs or it's a, it's three guys. It's the three guys from mystery science theater Uh and they, it's just the audio of them watching the movie, making fun of it. Hmm. And it's pretty hilarious. But the, the movie itself is the weirdest. Like, it's it's a RoboCop. It's a blatant RoboCop ripoff with some elements of maybe Terminator. And you could tell that they were trying to capitalize on that. But the story is really stupid and there's so many just weird absurd things like that's pushing it even for 80s standards it's but man it's something to watch is this like is this a real film or just like a low budget ripoff it's a it's a real movie it's a it's a real movie that came out in the 80s and you could tell it was kind of it was riding the wave of like that kind of um side like the the sci-fi action of the 80s like they're and it's weird. I've seen a lot of movies like that. You can always, anytime I watch Rift Tracks, I can always just guess the year that this movie came out based on how much it's plagiarizing <laughs> another movie. Um, but yeah, I, I mentioned this just because this literally might be one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And something else that we this isn't a movie, but it's it's an homage to movies. It's a me and a friend went through the game Until Dawn. And I mentioned because this is, it's pretty much in a way puts you in the director's chair of a horror movie. 
And so it's stereotypical plot. A bunch of stupid teenagers meet together in a cabin out in the woods to celebrate, for whatever reason, the anniversary of the death of two of their friends. It's a good idea. Um, They'll probably all make it out alive. Well, so what what it is is you can there's like eight people total, and you can control you you can either try to find a way to like keep them all alive until dawn, or you can just kill them off. <laughs> And so I brought it over to a friend and I was like, all right, we're going to, you know, you control the way they speak to each other. So you can make people like each other, make them hate each other. You can make them make like the stupid horror movie decisions. Like, all right, you look that way. I'll look this way. Or you can be like, you know what? We're not going to split apart. And so it's just, it's a lot of fun. And it kind of showed how, how uh, maybe mean spirited we were because I started off saying, all right, you know what? We're going to keep everybody alive. And then as the game goes, I'm like, oh my gosh, make him trip over here. He'll fall right onto the serial killer's blade. <laughs> Indulge in a psychopath. That's really what the game should be called, because that's exactly the point of it. <laughs> but it, it's really fun to see, to like, to play a game that kind of involves you and in all of the scary movie cliches. Sounds fun. <laughs> Alright, is that all? Yeah, that's it for me. Uh, so... Yeah, I saw Wonder Woman twice, uh, and it's great, but we recorded a whole mini-sode on it, so go check that out if you want to hear our full thoughts it's on our website. Um, and then I saw Joe Wright's uh, romantic film, Atonement. Um, honestly, I don't think it's my type of film. The cast is really good. Uh, James McAvoy is incredible. That that guy can just play like these like raw emotions so well. Uh, Kira Knightley is... She's always lovely, and she gives a really good performance. And also, a very young uh, Shorsha, uh, I think it's Shorsha Ronin, or Shersha or something. It sounds nothing like it's spelled. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, But ultimately, I just, I didn't care for the, how the story was told, and I didn't really care for the story that was told. Um, one thing I did like about the film is how it seems to be about, like, perspective and kind of the narratives and stories we create to explain the world around us or to live with choices we made and just you know how one person can see the exact same thing as thing as another person but then you know, perceive it differently and it also plays out kind of over the uh, over the backdrop of this kind of like epic romance it does have some very fascinating scenes that that do play with that kind of perspective. As I said, that'll play out differently from for various characters. It's, it's just you know about you know the narratives we create for ourselves and all that, and how they help us to cope. Um, but just the story, I, I just don't care for the story they told and just how it's told. The scenes he chooses to show us feel kind of random and just it doesn't just doesn't flow very well in my opinion. Um, but being from Joe Wright, it's a really gorgeous film. The cinematography is lovely. Um, and it, it, it's definitely interesting. And there's some great acting. And, and uh, just a Joe Wright film is always lovely to look at. But otherwise, just it didn't appeal to me all that much. That's like kind of a favorite movie of uh, my older sister's. And I've had most of it spoiled for me. And so now I've just... Because of that, I've just kind of had very little interest to go and watch it. Though I probably will get around to it. Just because there's not a whole lot of movies like that that I've seen. Um, like kind of British dramas. 
And so I think if I start to try to familiarize myself more with that genre, that'll be one I, I watch. This, this one doesn't, it doesn't really play out like most British period pieces, which which generally pretty straightforward. This one's far more uh, stylized and uh, unusual. (laughs) And then uh, rewatching the mummy uh, for this last week's episode kind of got me into a swashbuckling spirit. So I went and finished the mummy series uh, with tomb of the dragon emperor. And oh my gosh, I thought the mummy returns was bad. I, I, I don't, I I don't think I can think of a single redeeming quality <laughs> for this film other than maybe a couple of the production designers were trying hard. <laughs> Otherwise, everything is bad. Uh Rob Cohen's direction is insulting. There are so many uh ostensibly good stunt sequences in this film that are just so incoherently put together. <laughs> that is, it, it's just really insulting, and then the editing is also awful. The writing is is terrible. The, all the dialogue in the entire film is like cringeworthy, and the special effects. It's, a, it's a, I think it's a, I believe it's a 2008 film, but the special effects could have been in The Mummy Returns. They're <laughs> so bad, uh, and it, I, I think it might be worse than Suicide Squad. Because there were times, it felt like there were times when Suicide Squad was trying. I never got the idea in this entire film that anyone was trying. Hmm. Uh, Brendan Fraser, he's a charismatic actor and he's funny, so he he's able to get a couple laughs in and has a f- couple fun, ironic lines. But man, it, it's just it's not good. It's just not good. I was about to say, looking at his filmography, um, Rob Cohen, I'm not seeing it. Anything that would suggest otherwise <laughs> to what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, the first Fast and Furious. Exactly. <laughs> People like that film, but it's not very good. Uh, and then finally, I saw last night when saw Tom Cruise's The Mummy. And it's okay. It's better than The Mummy Returns and uh, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. And it's it has a lot of the same problems that we mentioned in the last episode. Just the character's aren't really characters there's really not much of a plot but what it does it doesn't have that just rambunctious adventurous spirit that the first one had being played it, it it tries to go for a slightly darker more creepy tone um but it, i i think it's a- alex kurtzman he's not a horror director there are a couple sequences that are genuinely very creepy but overall there's not there's no like sense of like impending doom and dread that should be in a picture like this it's just kind of it's okay he's he knows how to point a camera the film never looks bad all the sequences are are pretty well staged and they're edited together pretty well but it, it just there's not a lot of flair except for except for the action sequences the action sequences throughout are very good um and you have tom cruise so he's a very lots of running there is running, and it's good. It's nice, good running, very good running. Uh, yeah, so he, the guy has worked with J.J. Uh, Abrams and Michael Bay on the last, like, like almost all their movies. So he knows how to put on an action sequence and make with a lot of practical practical effects. There's a lot of good practical stunt work in this movie, and it shows. But just the story is so flat. The characters are so uninteresting. And this film, it, it 
tries to go for a much more intimate, intimate character-driven finale, which is very admirable, and I love when films do that. Except I don't know who these characters are. <laughs> They're not really characters. So it, it, it kind of just falls flat in the end. Um, it's never bad. It's always... And I actually, I really... The first act of this film, I was completely on board. I was like, I'm going to love this movie. And then it just kind of it goes, it goes, and it's okay. Um, it, it's, it's worth seeing if you're a big fan of Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is, as always, he is giving it his all. And he is so watchable. He plays kind of just a sleazy... Um, kind of a uh, soldier of fortune in this movie. And he's, he's really funny. Uh, but yeah, just overall, it, it doesn't amount to much. If you want, if you saw the trailers and thought, I got to see that. Yeah, go watch it. It's, it's worth a look, but it's nothing special. Yeah. I, th- I think my big worry for it was, it wasn't going to have like that really fun adventure feel of the Brendan Fraser one. And, it also didn't really look like a horror movie. It just, it felt like it was going to be just kind of an action movie that involved a mummy. Yeah, it, it's it's. I think it's it's most its biggest feature is it's an action film, but it also tries to go horror some ways. It tries to go comedy other directions, and it ends up doing none of them badly, but none of them very well either. Yeah, it. I'll probably still end up seeing it. I'm just not sure if I'll end up seeing it in the theater. Mm-hmm. It's a good cast. Um, uh, Tom Cruise, Annabelle Wallace, and Russell Crowe—they're all good, but it's just, yeah, fine. Um, so, is there anything else you want to mention before we move into the main topic? Uh, I think I'm ready. All right, let's begin our review for Monsters University. Monsters University was released in 2013. It was directed by Dan Scanlon. On a budget of $200 million, it grossed uh, $744 million. It stars Billy Crystal, John Goodman, Steve Buscemi, Helen Mirren, Nathan Fillion, Alfred Molina, Peter Stone, Charlie Day, Joel Murray, Aub- Aubrey Plaza, Sean Hayes, and Dave Foley. And it also has brief appearances from John Krasinski, Bill Hader, Bob Peterson, and of course, John Ratzenberger. It was written by Robert Baird, Dan Gerson, and Dan Scanlon. And the score was composed by Randy Newman, who has so far composed the scores for all three Toy Story movies, A Bug's Life, Monsters, Inc., Cars, and uh, Cars 3. Just a really good composer and songwriter. I, I was kind of bummed that he didn't write an end credit song for this one like he did for uh, Monsters, Inc. I think the whole world needs more Randy Newman songs. Yeah, man. And that last one from Monsters, Inc. is just perfection. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, you said last week that this will be your first time watching it all the way through. Uh, what did you think on your first viewing? Uh, I liked it. Nice. I, uh, um, it definitely had a tough act to follow because, really, I think Monsters Inc. actually is my favorite Pixar movie. Oh, really? Um, it was the first one that I had seen in the theater, and we bought it on VHS as soon as it came out, and I would just watch it again and again and again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Um, it, like I, I know Pixar consistently has fantastic casts but there's something about the john goodman and billy crystal team up it's it might be like my favorite leads in one yeah so um it was definitely there was no way that it would be able to at at least for me be as good as the first one but the fact that i enjoyed it 
to me is a testament to the fact that it's a, it's a it's a very good movie. Yeah, th- there is something special about the pairing of a uh, of a uh, Billy Crystal and John Goodman. Uh, it's kind of famously the the uh, they had so much chemistry together that uh, Pixar actually you know took the time to cut carry out their schedules so they could record all their lines in the same room together, which never happens just because the scheduling for animated films is so so uh, complicated. So and you, you could just tell they they get along so well, and even though Pete Doctor has only made three films, he is in my top ten directors of all time just because. He has such a, a great way of blending insane, uh, con- like insane creative concepts with just this wonderful emotion and heart in all of his films. So they're all very fun films. Um, yeah, Monsters Inc. isn't my favorite. I think it's it's one of the lighter Pixar films, or but it it's, it still does have that great emotional heart in its characters. Um, and going into the uh, the prequel, I wasn't at all looking forward to it. As with most Pixar films, the trailers for this one were not good at all. <laughs> and But you really can't tell because they're not good at making trailers. I like that this one, well, first off, it, it chooses to focus on Mike instead of Sully, which I think is interesting. And that was probably a good thing because I think it turns out that Mike is, is actually probably the more interesting character of the two. I think what turned a lot of people off from it was that on the surface, it's basically, you know, your average college film. But I think, and we'll get into it a bit more later, I think this this film actually turns kind of all the tropes of that of that genre, you know, the college films or just or just the you know, the sports movies where every you, you can kind of tell where everything's going. It takes that and turns it on its head and, and makes it into something that I think is very fascinating. So like overall, what did you think of the film? I thought it was really good. Um there are certain things it did. Um, in some ways, I I did find where you're talking about where it kind of turns things on its head. The fact that there was never that moment where they get, you know, reinstated. They had to work as janitors initially. Like it's a it's a <laughs> nice way to not give you the ending you're probably expecting. Um, I did also kind of see some of the more familiar themes of uh of the other movies that it was, you know kind of the of the genre that it belonged to um but overall like i said i i enjoyed it yeah and i don't i don't think personally i don't have a problem with doing familiar things i mean because the genre it's borrowing from consists basically it had its heyday uh like two decades ago and consists mainly of uh raunchy r-rated films so i think the the it's not like there's a whole bunch of family-friendly films within this genre, so I, I don't... There's not a lot of competition in its type. I mean, you might think that it's, this genre doesn't need family films, but hey, I think a, a good idea works. But uh, what I ultimately love about this film is I think it's... it's has some of the most uh, airtight screenwriting I've seen. Um, just how each act so beautifully builds off the other. And I think... The climax is basically perfect on every level. I think just how it builds off the film that came before it, but that also takes it, turns it on its head and creates something creative. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of go through it later on, but just going back to the cast, I like that two guys in their 60s can, can play, uh, <laughs> I guess, uh, old teenagers or 20-somethings pretty convincingly. <laughs> it just works. 
Yeah, and I mean, like Monsters Inc., they're just incredibly entertaining. They just their voices are some of the most like iconic voices ever, and so to have these two just great personalities um, on screen again, well, not on screen themselves, but playing these characters again, I think that uh, one of my worries initially was that you know the the first one was made several years ago and it felt so right then and I just wasn't sure if they were going to be able to have it like they're going to continue to have the chemistry they did but they they definitely did um okay so something that I did like what they did with the characters was they gave them like legitimate fleshed out arcs which I don't know why I was surprised considering it's Pixar they 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 do the best animated movies out there mm-hmm. um and often with some of the most depth of any movie that comes out that year. But what it was able to do was you kind of knew what was going to end up with these characters, but it still, it felt very real the way they happened, and it never felt lazy. Like we, obviously because of Monsters, Inc., we know exactly how the relationship is going to going to turn out. So whenever Sully is a jerk, we know his arc, he's going to be, you know he's going to become the nice guy at the end because that's where we need to see him in monsters inc but it felt very organic and well written it wasn't a lazy way to get there and then with mike we clearly root for him at the very beginning but he wasn't this you know this constant he had his own flaws and there were moments where he kind of was a jerk as well so it just it felt very very real with these characters uh like they were actually writing for legitimate characters, and they just didn't have this end goal in mind. Um, so overall, I, th- I thought they were surprisingly well-rounded and given a lot of depth. Yeah, I, I like that Mike isn't really a great char- a great guy. He's you know, he's likable and charismatic, and he has a dream, so we kind of automatically connect with him. But he's also kind of a jerk. He's like really when him and Sully first meet, he's really patronizing. Like, oh, really? Well, I think there's a bit more than that. He's just kind of thinks he's the smartest guy in the room and he that just kind of play, comes out with how he acts around these other characters and also he also just completely looks down on the, even the other Uzma Kappa guys at first he never even considers like during the first two challenges he never once considers that any of them you know might have something of value to offer he thinks obviously I know what I'm doing I should be the one in charge and yeah y'all are a bunch of idiots just, just follow my lead we don't normally see that kind of uh, character you know from you know the, the typical nerd we see it in a film, I think it, it takes that that and turns it in, in a, re, a very realistic way to some very realistic flaws that people of that personality mindset can have. Um, and Sully also, he is a bit more, you know, the generic jock, uh, jock type of jerk, um, but he also, I think he has some decent uh, problems to work through. I like that um, you, he's... The way John Goodman plays him, you can completely, at first, completely believe that he is, you know, the self, uh, the, the, the smug, self-obsessed guy. But then, over the course of the film, you see that you know he's just kind of putting that on. He's actually, he's he has you know the raw talent to be a scarer, but he's also kind of unfocused and fearful, and so he plays you know the jock to try and um, hide the fact that he's completely clueless. But since he has that talent, you see, like when him and Mike finally get together. Each of their strengths um, kind of complements the other person to where they make a great team. You need someone like Mike Wazowski who can kind of bring and coach that out of them. Works so well with the dynamic that we see later on in 
um, in Monsters Inc. Like when you look at Monsters Inc., you think about it. Why exactly did Sully need Mike? I think you know, going back to this, it shows really how well their how their dynamic formed and and just how well each character complements the other, and it makes them a really cool team. Yeah, I th- I think with it ending on their first day, it, I thought the exact same thing about Mike kind of just being there to, initially in Monsters Inc. He's just kind of there to put the cans in, but now you kind of understand. You see, you know, their background and, and all the work that goes into it beforehand. Uh, and I I did like some of the nods to uh, Monsters Inc. Like the the scary feet, scary feet, scary feet. Like the the training that we see directly <laughs> from it, and then. I do like, and this is kind of what you were saying as well, With they take some of these characters, like a movie would often portray like the nerd who's coming in here and he's being bullied by these other guys. This is our clear protagonist. and Oftentimes they can kind of do no wrong in these movies, but he he lets himself look down on other people. And then I don't think Sully really is, like he's definitely a jerk at first, but he's not, he never feels like unnecessarily like mean spirited, you know. He he's not doing this to be mean. He just says things the way he sees them, and he'll move on. He's he's not going to go out of his way to be nice, but he's also not going out of his way to be like a this the mean jock. Um, which I think a lot of times that's how people more often than not are, uh, at least of that kind <laughs> of archetype. Oh wait, wait wait they are the mean jock or they're not the not mean the mean jock where it's. Like when you watch a lot of these kind of movies, there's a lot of the the stereotypes with the this guy is just gonna bully you for the sake of bullying you. This this person is mean. This person can do no wrong, but because they're skinny or because they have glasses, they're gonna get picked on. And it's I don't really think things are always that clear cut. Um, and so for the movie to not just put everybody in the stereotype and have them act accordingly, but to give them you know nuances and make them feel like people as opposed to just stereotypes i don't know uh, i i thought the movie did really well with the characters at least the the two leads mm-hmm. and it also gave us a really great uh cast of side characters for them to bounce off of um that i'm not gonna say that they they don't the side characters don't fulfill uh you know stereotypical roles but they do it with gusto so it's still fun i mean first off there's charlie day who is He's always hilarious, and I think he's probably my favorite side character in this film as Art. Um, I mean, even if it wasn't Charlie Day voicing him, the the character design and how they use it visually throughout the film is brilliant. The manic and kind of just abstract energy he brings to the character is just so funny. I, I was constantly laughing at his character throughout. Yeah, he's able to, like, his higher-pitched voice, like, the register he's often to go to and he just constantly has this energy in everything he's in and so he can take lines that themselves are funny but and make them way funnier just because of his delivery like i'm not gonna go to jail again like he's but the way he (laughs) delivers it it makes it hysterical of all the sewers on campus this one's definitely my favorite and it's you know the lines themselves they're funny and they make sense within the context of the movie but he just he's able to bring just a level of energy uh combined with his natural voice to just really make that character something really fun. And, and the character design is brilliant. It's just two, his, his entire body is just his two legs joined together in the middle and his face is there. <laughs> but the way they use, like the scene where he's like jumping through the library, trying to make the noise to distract the librarian. 
is hysterically funny just because of the crazy things he's doing with his body. And also Charlie voice just like cackling maniacally. It's just, I could just watch him forever. And I like how he just is so crazy. Like where Mike says, you know, I want you to take every instinct you have and bury it deep, deep down inside. Done. <laughs> You're hiding in the tree. You're hiding behind the kiosk. You're <laughs> yeah. right in the open. He's <laughs> like, I feel like he deserves a spinoff now. Because there, it was funny to me of all the side characters. He's the one who I I think didn't kind of. I mean, I'm sure you can draw parallels between him and other different kind of like background characters, but they just kind of used him to do whatever. Like <laughs> there wasn't one particular thing that that they had him consistently doing. He was kind of like this random character who was off. So. Anytime they needed to have the background character do or say anything weird or ridiculous, he he was like that that character that they always had that like he could they could fall back on, um, and it usually had me laughing. Also, did did you know that uh, uh, Joel Murray, the guy who plays Don, is um Bill Murray's brother? I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty cool, but he he's also he's really fun. Um, and then uh, Squishy is uh, voiced by Peter Sohn, who's the director of. The Good Dinosaur. And I think b- both of them bring a g- lot of personality to their roles. Uh, they're both a lot of fun. But I also like how, just how creatively the film uses, like, their abilities. And, like, in in the final scare, or also just throughout the film, like, we see, you know, how each one does have that thing they can offer to the team. And then, like, in the, the big scare, each each the way each character goes in there and scares them is like completely unique to their own, themselves, and there's like some great setups and payoffs in there, like how throughout the film, uh, Squishy's kind of been like sneaking up to people, not on purpose, but just kind of you look over, he's standing right next to you, and so in the big scare, he just kind of sidles up to the kid and has this really blank, blank ghost face. It's it's terrifying, but it's kind of a callback that's been set up throughout the film. It's just. The setups and callbacks throughout this film, I think, in t- uh, throughout the whole film, are pretty brilliant. Um, like, such as that, uh, or uh, in the beginning when little Mike sneaks into the kid's room, when Jim Jim Halpert is scaring the kid, we see, like, he scratches the bedpost to scare the kid. And then we later see Mike kind of incorporate that into his uh, technique uh, when he goes and tries to scare the kid. It's just things like that, or the line... Uh, they're always hiring in the mailroom, which is used as a, like a total joke and insult at the beginning, but that kind of comes to mean something in the end. The, when a film could use callbacks well, it just it makes the whole film feel a bit more interactive on the viewer's part. Like They can also be really bad with like, just the shove them in your face and you roll your eyes, but when they're done well, they make the film just a lot more fun to interact with and you, it makes you want to pay more attention because it, it's rewarding you with uh, more information and more things as you go to me it's weird stuff like that when done poorly it makes you more aware that you're just watching a movie and that this this is something that the you know the writers are are very much trying to get you to pay attention to but when it's implemented well to me it feels almost less like a movie like it's just these are natural things like you know him seeing him scratch the bedpost at the very beginning and then doing it at the end that felt you know that to me it made Mike feel even more of a character. These are characters, and this is a full like this is a world that's lived in. Things happen, and they affect the way people do the next thing. It's like it felt like um 
with with Squishy. You know, we that's kind of what he's known for, and he continues to hear that. <laughs> like one of my favorite lines is whenever Mike turns around, he's like, "We need to give you a bell." <laughs> it's so like you said, he decides to incorporate that in the end. Um, and then the line about the mailroom. Well, now we've been told in this in this universe they are hiring at the mailroom, and so they end up taking advantage of that. So it it just, it makes it feel like more like an actual world when stuff like that is done well. Um, and then also, even even though it feels real, obviously this is all stuff written by writers. And so what I like is it shows that the writers actually care, um, and they're not just interested in telling like this like incredibly simplistic with no thought at all story from start to finish. They actually care about what's going on and they're, they're setting up things to pay them off and they're doing it in a way that doesn't feel worthy of an eye roll. Um, so yeah, I, I thought a lot of that was done really well in this movie. Yeah. And then the way Mike incorporates that, the, the scratching the bedpost into his uh, routine makes perfect sense considering the character he is. He's, he's the guy who, is trying he's trying to to uh, do this with technique. He doesn't have you know the raw talent, so he's you know, he's incorporating what he, every everything he possibly can into his routine to make him to, to uh, accomplish what he wants to do. It's it's a it, it makes sense with his character, and I really like the humor throughout. Um, I think it, it this film is very well paced, um, even when it's going through its more familiar elements, especially in the second act when we're getting into the the challenge. Yeah, we know we kind of know how it's going to play out, but it's really fun. I think Randy Newman's score in this one is it 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 continues the sort of jazzy feeling of the first one, but it also incorporates a lot of like marching band uh, music in there to to uh, match with the college thing. And I don't know what it is, but something about Randy Newman's music makes montages that much more fun. There are a lot of really just clever training montages. Or, or the, the montages as they're going through these different um, challenges. And it's just really fun. It gets you pumped up. Just the way he uses the music and the way they're edited. There doesn't feel like any fat or wasted uh, time in this film. It, it moves really well. About the humor, I did like a lot of it. Um, it was weird because to me, I, I'm not even really sure as to which movie i think it's funny i think monsters inc may be just a tad funnier but i think that's mainly because it ha- it it's not as funny throughout it just has like to me some really fantastic specific moments that i remember a lot but monsters university does kind of have like it's it's using it's got a campus full of weird intricately designed monsters and it kind of uses that um to kind of be funny throughout and then it also like it, it takes things even with the background characters, um, takes little things that you can notice throughout, and then they'll use them for humorous paths at the end. <laughs> uh, I, I still think one of my favorite like I guess ends to a character is uh is Don marrying or getting engaged to Squishy's mom. <laughs> um, it's just a funny way to kind of continue what's been happening with these characters throughout. <laughs> you can you can think of me or don't think of it as anything weird. It's just your older brother marrying your mom, or we we're still brothers that share the same wife slash mom. That's worse. Like it's it's funny because it, one it doesn't really come out of nowhere. It's been set up, and so like obviously I think I think the jokes that are properly set up are always a lot funnier than if they just kind of happen. 
And so the movie is constantly, it's making their own jokes in the moment, but they're also setting up payoffs to jokes down the road. So it it moves, like you said, it's well-paced, so it moves very well, and it's consistently, I think, pretty funny. Yeah, and so many of both the visual and verbal gags throughout are, they come out of who these characters are. They're like, they're making fun of a character's foible or, you know, how one character sees another. And the sight gags, there are so many just great gags happening in every scene throughout that I, the, you just watch the backgrounds. There's always something clever going on. That, that's normal for a Pixar film. but And even like the, the sight gags in the foreground, there's so much just personality in every frame of this movie, especially during the challenges. Even, like, as I said, even though I know what's happening, it's still just very entertaining to watch. Yeah. Uh, like, I, like I was just saying with the... Um with the designs monsters inc like or this this universe that they've created with these two movies are so visually distinct that it's like you as a director you have to just completely lack any sort of imagination to not be able to make it look funny and interesting and be consistently entertaining because like i said you just you have this entire campus full of monsters that look like they had like a lot of like funny design put into them and thought nobody feels like well a lot of them feel cobbled together but in a very purposeful way um and so yeah it's even without like the lines which i do think for the most part are very well written it's just it's funny there's there's little things i even took notice of there was stuff going on in the background i'm like wow that's that was unnecessary but it's there because you know they they like to fill this world um and they they have the kind of characters that they can to fill the background of the world with really funny different kind of jokes. Yeah, it's like one really funny one. Um, it's like the day of finals, and we see this monster with three eyes, and it's reading three different books at the same time as it's going into class. Or <laughs> he's like, "Sorry, we count bodies, not heads." That dude is one guy. And then, what's funny is that, like, you know, that's initially a joke, but then they kind of use that for the character, but they kind of they help it. Um, explain him as a character when they're there's they sneak onto the uh onto the actual monsters ink and they're looking in and he's just like look that guy has three heads like you you can still make this so they're they're using their their the payoff to that joke was actually not even really a joke but it was another it was like a character moment but it was still it, it's consistently incorporating what the movie has said and shown before whether it's like an emotional payoff or just a, a nice character moment or humor the movie, it's like it's keeping track of what it's done before, and it's using that to help yeah. going forward. And I, I love the three. Uh, I think it was, was it five challenges overall. I think all of them are really clever. I mean, first off, every one of them is based on an element of scaring that we're familiar with in from Monsters Inc. Um, the glowing urchins is just—it's a visually gorgeous idea. I want to touch him. Yep, I want to touch him. Still want to touch him. <laughs> and then the the sight gags. I mean, once <laughs> it's so juvenile, which is once they the characters start blowing up and these random portions of their faces will swell up to the size of a basketball. It's just it's just funny to look at, and I they just use it really. They don't they don't overuse it, but they just use it the perfect amount to where you're you're laughing the whole time at these characters being hurt. But it's just it's just hilarious. Yeah, there are. It, it is funny, like the way they incorporate all the different, um, 
different trials into the, like the things you're actually gonna see on the on the job. I think one of my favorite ones was the maze in which you had to hide from the teenagers and scare the kids. <laughs> but daddy, I love that, him. See, lines like that. That's probably why the, that was my favorite. It was just anytime they showed it, they just threw one of those lines out there. And it's, I think really one of the, my favorite things about this is the humor like that is it's just something that everybody can kind of laugh at. It's not like the movie is not childish and obviously because it's Pixar, it's family friendly, but as with almost all of their movies, that doesn't mean that it's not funny and it's usually the exact opposite. <laughs> it's hilarious. And so there's just little lines like that throughout that are legitimately funny. Like that they'll garner not even just a, a smile, but like an actual laugh. Nobody understands me. <laughs> and that I like also like that each the 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 first two um the 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 second two I mean the third and fourth um challenges are kind of shown in montage but the first two they act, each one you know, actually informs the characters like the first one talks about you know how Mike and Sully it's all about their rivalry they really they don't even think about the other team they only they only grab this team because it's what could get them to the finish line and so the it, it's um kind of their their uh their uh, selfishness that gets the team makes the team lose and the second one even though you know even though they they had that setback mike you can see that mike and sully still really don't care about the team they're kind of bringing them along because they think they have to but then it, it's in that it's there where we start to see that the the other uh, the other guys actually have ideas they have skills that can contribute um to the the team like it looks like all is lost, but then they all start making noise. It's just you—you really, you don't expect it to be, but once that starts happening, it's, it's actually really exciting. You're like, oh my gosh, he's doing that thing that he that was a, kind of a problem earlier, but now he can do it in a way that uses the, that helps the team. And then after that, we see that uh, they all they each one has a skill, each one has a talent that can contribute, but it just they need Mike to use his talent, which is as a coach, as a mentor, to kind of help them hone them in. And it just it just shows, you know, that people people, you know, they have to use they have to be understanding of their weaknesses, but also use their strengths in a way that um but 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 each person, you know, has their own strengths that they can use. And the way they do that visually throughout the film, I think, is is just really clever and shows that they're actually putting time and thought into these characters. Yeah, and it it uh, I, that's part of the reason why I like Mike as a character so much, because he doesn't, he he's not the kind of character that you would expect him to be. Because you know Sully, he doesn't feel like he needs to learn or anything. He's he's just has it naturally, and so I think what a movie, what another movie probably would have done is it would just Mike would be the one to give Sully the lesson like you can do this, but there's more to it, and in a way he does do that in the movie, without but he also needs that lesson um he's so focused on like like actual learning and knowing techniques that he doesn't realize that there may be something that he just lacks that he that's you know obviously for the movie it's he's not scary but that that's a flaw for him i think another like most movies probably wouldn't have given him that flaw and his existence as a character was be was to be a likable a likable protagonist and to give the lesson to the other character, but he himself grows, and he needs to be reminded that uh, that the team has their own strengths that they can bring, because he like he esteems himself better than Sully, but he 
he kind of looks at these other guys the exact same way Sully does initially. And so, I don't know, it's just a funny dynamic where you have these two people, one who kind of thinks that he's the clear protagonist who's looking at everybody else, you know, the right way, but he, he doesn't realize that he's, in a lot of ways, the exact same as Sully. Like, not recognizing the, the other people's strengths as well as his own weakness. And I, I just thought it was, like, a surprisingly layered character, I guess. Um, and one that kind of works with the theme or the movie's themes. Yeah. And I like that the final challenge, it works perfectly well and consistently on its own. If, if that had been the film's climax, I wouldn't like it as much as I do now, but it would have been like, yeah, that was, that was, a, that was a fun movie. Just, it, it follows all the cliches, but it still, it still builds in a way that you could see this being the actual climax, you know, each character, you know, uses the strengths that we've seen throughout the film to uh, and incorporates that into their scaring in a way that's, that's just really clever. And then when they win, it feels like it could, it could be real. But then that's this is where I start loving the film. I already liked it, but, you know, where it, it's revealed that actually Sully, he cheated. He saw that Mike, for all his talents... He isn't scary. <laughs> He's not going to make a kid scream. And so he cheats. And and then everything that happens after that is completely and fully um part is is it's done because of who these characters are. Nothing in that happens in the, in the, real, the true climax of the film is is like cheap or unearned. Everything every choice they make is based on who these people are and and you know the turmoil they're going through, it makes total sense that after kind of having this devastating blow, that Mike would then try and go uh, sneak into the human world. Like we saw, we saw earlier that Hard Scrabble wouldn't even look at him, and Sully doesn't think he's scary, so he has to go prove that he's scary. And the only way he can do that since is you know to find find and scare a kid. Um, and then that's where this turns into a, a horror film. And it's amazing. Just the moment when he sneaks in and he tries to scare the girl. And she's not, and she's like, she's kind of cocked her head. Like, you're funny. And then all the girls, <laughs> we realize he's in a girl's camp. And all the kids, just a bunch of cute little girls. And it, it plays like a horror film as they're all surrounding him. Everywhere he looks, there's all these faces. It's you know, because they, they've played out the to toxic angle so well. And then, you know, Sully, obviously... We see how his growth has led him to go confess what he did to Heartscrabble. Uh, and and then he, he feels responsible for what Mike has done, so he goes after him. And the atmosphere in the, the human world is incredible. Um, just the, the cinematography, the fog, the lighting, how they use the, the flashing police lights to kind of, uh, in the, like in the background, reflecting off a window, just to kind of just add this ambiance to the scene it feels like you know you're a teenage slasher film just how how everything looks and feels and the lighting just the scene at the lake is just so beautifully animated i just want to just stare at like the mud on mikey's mike's feet as he's looking in the lake it's just there's so much detail and when they they go back and i think the big scare is like probably in my top 10 favorite Pixar sequences, just as a piece of filmmaking, 
how beautifully it builds, you know, and it, it most importantly, it is rooted in character, who these people are in in their strengths and, and their weaknesses. And then how it just slowly builds and builds and gets creepier and uses horror film cliches. But it's, 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 it's a completely cliche horror film scene, but from the, the perspective of the scary people. And then we just see so many things we've seen before come back. Like, again, the clawing on the bedpost. It comes back in a really scary way. Just these claw marks on a wall. And I cannot stress enough how beautiful the cinematography is in this. It's shot like a live-action film. Just the, the angles they choose, the way it's lit, the, 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 like the shot com, uh, composition and how the camera moves. It feels like we're watching a live-action film. And it, that sequence is just so exhilarating. Yeah, the scene itself, like, I, I always, I'm okay with movies when they feel cliche when it's, like, intentional. Like, this is intentional, like, here's the creepy doll, here's the claw marks, here's the foot, like, it's playing up on all of, like, the the scares of the genre. Um, and I, I, th- I think it makes the scene even funnier. And then, to talk about, like, the fact that, you know, the, the final game isn't the finale, that's also where I think... I, I realized how much I really liked what they did with Sully's character because he, he was always the kind of character I think that like I, I would never put it past him to cheat like he he doesn't really feel like that would ever bother him and so he does it here but like the big growth in his character is that now he's he's not cheating for the sole purpose of passing even though that's that's something that's going to happen is it he's it feels like he's kind of justifying it for his team as well he's like well Mike's such a good guy. Like he's he's the core of our team. Like, he's the heart of our team. He's he's what brings us together. Like he's still while he's doing something that he would have done before, he's doing it for a completely different reason. And then he's given the extra maturity to actually go and like tell on himself and to stick up for his team. And it doesn't it didn't feel cliche. It didn't feel like that that switch in character was unearned. We see this legitimate bond being formed between um, Sully and his team, and especially between Sully and Mike, so that when that does happen, it's, it doesn't feel like, okay, well, they did this because he needs to be a good guy at the end of the movie. They did it because it it felt natural for the character at that moment. It was all built properly, and it was a proper setup to his change of heart. And then just a, a, about the scene, the final one, I it was a really creative way to to show two things one to reveal to mike that he's not that scary and then to really show why they why they make the team they do you know mike being the idea guy and sully executing it all it 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 showed mike's own individual flaws and it showed and then it showed obviously their strength together and then you know we we go mm. we lead into the end shortly after and then up until them working at Monsters Inc and it all it all flows and it all makes sense like this happening makes sense for this to happen now and then it makes sense for this to happen and and so I think it all works out together. The writers obviously knew what they were trying to do. They they knew the ideas of the movie that people can complement each other, and I just think that the the uh, climax kind of emphasizing your own individual flaws and your need for others as well as showing instead of just leaving Mike as a failure and then the movie going on, bringing Sully into it and then showing like, this is how it can be. uh, I I thought it made the climax work really, really well. Yeah. What I love about that is it incorporates the three most important things to building a good sequence. First off, 
it would have just been a great, a fun sequence on its own. But then it's rooted in the characters, in their strengths and weaknesses, and and their, the character arcs they've been on. And thirdly, it's the logical conclusion of the film we've been watching. Everything in this, it's, it's everything coming together to make this uh, this scene that, you know, it, it, it fulfills the character arcs, it fulfills the story, and it's just a very well put together uh, piece of uh, filmmaking. And I love just the theme of this film. There is no shortage of movies that say, you know, believe in yourself, work your hardest, and you're going to get what you want. And that, that's not really true. If, if, if you're, you know, five foot five and weigh 100 pounds, you're never going to become a wrestler. But you might actually be able to be a good coach. It's, it's about, you know, taking your passion, your, your, I mean, taking your passion and taking your skills and then you're putting them in a, in a direction, in a, in a direction that um, allows you to use them. Like, no matter how badly you may want something, it, you may never be able to do that exact, one th- exact same thing. But if you have the passion and you have skills, there probably is a way that you could use it in that field in a slightly different direction. Um, and I, I like how just, yeah, he's passionate about scaring. He knows every fact there is to know about scaring, but he's not scary. So we see that he he is able to take that and use it in a way that kind of fulfills his passions. He can, he's, can do what he's, and it also allows him to do what he's best at. And, you know, and Sully He's 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 genuinely scary, but he's far more he's rough around the edges, and he doesn't have all the self confidence. So he he needs someone he needs a little twerp like Mikey to, to help, um, you know, fulfill his talent. And I the I love that the world has consequences. You know, every single other animated film would have had hard scrabble, give in, and let them back into the scaring program after they do the record scare. But that wouldn't really happen in real life. They blew up the lab. They opened up the monster world to the possibility of toxic children running rampant. So, yeah, yeah, they would be expelled. And we haven't really talked about uh, Dean Hartscrabble. I like that they don't make her just a villain. I mean, first of all, the, the character design is amazing on her. She is so imposing and creepy. And Helen Mirren is just, she's a treasure. And she brings so much, you know, authority and presence with her voice. I like that they... They actually make her in the end, you know, they, they earned her respect. She's willing to admit when she was wrong and, and to, you know, to see the talent in, in, uh, in people she normally wouldn't think about. No, she's not going to let them back in, but she's at least, she's, they, 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 they make her far more dimensional than any other film would have. Yeah, I think in terms of design, she's probably like the coolest looking of the monsters. I love one of the initial shots of her first walking up and the kind of the camera lingers on the floor as her like her centipede legs just kind of slowly scroll by. Um, or she like cir- circles around a pillar, climbing up a pillar. It's just uh, yeah, it really, all, really creepy. It's there's so many different kind of monster designs all wrapped up in that character, like with the wings and the the weird face and the the big slithering body. They could do so much with her. And I love the the demeanor they give her. Like she always feels very composed, um, in a scary way. And then obviously, Ellen Mirren is just she's an incredibly seasoned actress, and she she has such a command of her voice. It it feels almost like she is the one giving the uh, giving the actual performance, like physical performance, because there's the physical performance and the voice acting just feel so in sync with each other. 
Um, and I, I also like that she's not really the stereotyped villain. She's clearly, like, in some ways the movie does use her as an antagonist, but only in the way that maybe she, like, a normal person would view her as an antagonist in real life. Like, this Dean that's kind of the only thing that stands in your way. And so it's it, it's not like this movie kind of forced antagonist. Yeah. And one thing I've always liked about Pixar is the way they cast their... They, they always just hire the right actor for the job. It might not be the most famous actor, but whenever they cast someone, you know it's a good fit. Like Nathan, Nathan Fillion as Johnny Worthington. He's... First of all, Nathan Fillion is so charming and charismatic. And he just plays this... Uh, this very uh, self-assured guy with all the uh, kind of nasty, sleazy side, he just balances that so well. And I mean, I could just listen to his voice all day long. Yeah, I, I think he may be like the most cliche character of the movie. Like he's very much fulfilling a role. But that's why you get Nathan Fillion to play a role like that if you have it. Because then I won't yeah. complain about it. Because I just... His... It's there's just something about his voice. Like I would listen to any like the audiobook of a book I hated if it was read by him. Um <laughs> it's just there's yeah. not I don't think there's ever been a character that he's played that I just haven't really kind of loved. Um he he brings this sort of like char like very confident without being annoying kind of charm even though he is he is the jerk in this. He's still like Man, he's he's super suave. Like it's it's Nathan Fillion. I'd watch a movie about him. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, like Alfred Molina, he has a pretty small role, but he plays. I mean, just he he bring he makes that teacher seem that much more interesting. We want to watch. What, we want to listen to what he has to say, and it, it's just it's, they they fill the, they populate their roles with the best actor for the job. Um, you know, John Krasinski. He plays the be the best every man you'll ever find. And he plays a great everyman, you know, kind of character at the beginning. Um, and of course, uh, the Bob Peterson comes back as Roz. And that's it's a, a fun callback to Monsters, Inc. And then I think I laughed out loud with that when John Ratzenberger came oh. on. <laughs> Remember, tampering with mail is punishable by banishment. It's such a... I think... So I, I think Roz being there is funny. It, I mean, it's very clear, you know, the, the always watching... That was funny, but I, I definitely like the uh, the one with the abominable snowman more because that's that's my kind of that's my favorite way to joke about like previous installments in a movie because they're not just repeating their line, like they're they're the joke is a setup for the next or for the you know previous movie, and it makes sense like it's not him he didn't like offer them snow cones enthusiastic like he. He made a joke that makes sense based on where it's going. I don't know. It's the funniest way, I think, just to reference other movies where it's it's not, oh, this is their catchphrase. I'm going to have them say this. It's like, this is where this character's at. How can we find a funny way to reference that without it feeling too, like, winking at the camera? Or Yeah, how did he get banished? <laughs> and, and now we know. Yeah, and the, 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 the final montage that shows, you know, them... You know, starting from the bottom and, you know, putting in the time and the work and the effort to really earn their place. It This film does what every good prequel and sequel should, which is make the original better. You know, showing how they got to the top, how they, they really worked hard to earn their place. But even more than that, it makes 
Mike was Mike was just a side character. He didn't really have much of an emotional arc in the first one. And now, knowing what he had to go through, what his passion was, now when I see him bring that bar stool into the kid's bedroom, you know that 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 that, that scene's probably gonna make me cry next time I watch a uh, um Monsters Inc. Cause that is the culmination of his lifelong dream to be a skier. But it, it's it's in a way that complements who he is and his talents. It's, it's, it's beautiful. You know, it's funny. Monsters, Inc. actually makes, like, it works with this movie for this movie's own themes because the whole point of this was that, you know, you have your own strengths and you have your own weaknesses, and while, you know, working hard may overcome weaknesses, sometimes it can't. And sometimes you just, you need to find what your, what your specific talent is and focus on that. And so... To me, that was kind of just a, a funny little payoff to get rid of scaring from Monsters Inc. But now it's like, oh, now they, it's this is Mike's talent. Mike, this wasn't his strength, and that wasn't really it wasn't really made a big deal of in Monsters Inc. That that wasn't really his strength. But now it makes more sense. Now it's like, okay, this this is where his, this is where he's able to use his own natural talent. Um, so I, I, th- I think the two actually work really well together now. Yeah, this is why things like Marvel are the best. You know, this skillful, creative retconning they do with each film that kind of just builds these characters in ways that we didn't think about first time. But then now when you, like, after Civil War, when you go back and watch Iron Man, it, this is what good sequels do. They, they make, they make, they build off and then, you know, with, with the clever retconning, make each film previously more, even richer and, uh, I think this one definitely uh, does that. I-, I find this film's structure so interesting in that it is a film that gets better basically with every minute it goes. The, the first act is fine. It's- it-, it does what it needs to do. It's a bit heavy on exposition and it's a bit, I think it's the one that re- relies the most on the cliches. But then like once the second act starts and you get into the challenge, it's, it's just really fun. It gets you pumped up. And it's-, it's funny and clever. And then once it gets to the third act, I think by the time it gets there, it's I would say it's perfect. It, it has a climax that builds off everything. It's not a perfect film, like I said. I think the, the the first half can be a little a little off, but I do find it interesting how each act is exponentially better than the last one till it reaches perfection in the end. Yeah, it is. It it kind of follows a different, I guess, template than most of Pixar's movies in that it's. You know, it's borrowing from a lot of other genres, but it's kind of it's it's moving in a way that I feel like is more familiar to other movies, which I guess could be both a pro and a con. But it does it's able to kind of use this familiar movie structure to do exactly what you're saying, to like to build the plot and to get better as it goes and to use what it set up originally to make the ending that much better. Yeah, and you can argue that the first half is not original, but I will fight to the death that this climax is as good as anything Pixar's done. It's it's it take it's it's what they always do. They take a genre, take a familiar trope, and then you know we make it their own. Weave in far more human and real themes and ideas that we don't see in animated films ever. And this is this is no different. Um, or yeah, it, it's a much better play on a genre than say Cars Two was. <laughs> yeah. It was- I I still I still want to see Cars two before Cars three, but it's not terrible. It's just fine, and that's that that that, that I guess that's bad for a Pixar film, you know. But it, it's definitely not terrible. 
Okay, so uh, do you have anything else before we move into our dislikes? Uh, no, I think um, that's mainly it. All right. What were yours? So kind of to talk about what you were saying is I think the movie definitely, it borrows a lot of other familiar genres. In a lot of ways, it does that for its benefit, you know, because it, it takes characters and archetypes that you've seen before and it kind of does something new with them. But at other times, it does kind of feel like it's following a very familiar pattern. Um, and for a lot of movies, that may not even be that big of a criticism. But I just feel like almost every Pixar movie feels like it's very own thing. And some, I, I think while, while this movie definitely does work well with Monsters, Inc., and does a lot to actually make that better. It wouldn't surprise me if maybe the idea was just let's people like Monsters Inc. Let's make another movie in that universe. I don't think that that was like the idea of the people who actually made the final product, but I think that may have been the reason it it kind of got off the ground. Is it it doesn't feel per, like really necessary because of that. That just that's kind of makes makes me feel like. Maybe the idea wasn't we've got this great idea for a Monsters, you know, a Monsters Inc. sequel or prequel, um, but it's just they want this one made. So then they decided, well, we can make it be about this. And so it, you know, going with the um, the the college movie slash somewhat sports movie, it does feel like they kind of relied on other ideas that's been in other movies as opposed to this like this original idea that they had had. Yeah, I, I I do agree with that though. Since that is the um, the 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 reason that ninety nine point nine of all sequels get made, <laughs> I find it hard to fault them for that. Just because, yeah, it, story, filmmaking is a money game. But I think, like Pixar always does, they found the people with the passion for this story and put them in charge. And, that's what you gotta do in filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Every idea is a rehash of something. You got you have to find the person that is best for this job and has a passion for this story they're telling, and they do. I think they they take it and turn it turn it on its head. I think they do rely a the the first two acts. I think the structure relies a bit too heavily on cliches, and I kind of wish they'd done something a bit more original with those parts. But you know, by the time they get to the ending, I think they they, they do uh, find a way to make it their own. Besides that, I think my only dislike is. I wish they had used uh, Randall a little better. Um, you know, having him as Mike Mike's roommate opened up a lot of potential, but then the story just kind of forgets about him and that for uh, like an entire act, and then brings him back at the end, and now he's mad because he fell off the wall because Sully roared. It feels like for how evil of a character he was in um, in Monsters Inc., I think they could have done a bit more a bit more clever of a job weaving it into the story. Yeah. I remember when he first showed up and he had these big dorky glasses. And to me, I mean, I, I say this, I may not be able to like list every like a bunch of examples off the top of my head, but I feel like I've seen it before where a character will kind of be this extreme or like this this very, uh, maybe they'll, they'll kind of exist as an archetype or the stereotype, the, the bad guy or like the, 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 over the top good person or bad person and then we'll see a prequel and it's like they'll be the opposite the hot girl hiding behind glasses and big teeth or whatever yeah um yeah, so suddenly put up a pair of glasses she's not the most gorgeous woman you've ever seen <laughs> but so uh, with the actual movie though um 
it's it does kind of feel like they just had this character and they're like wouldn't it have been funny if he wasn't always like that and we'll show him you know how he changed like what changed him and what made him this way and then they continued making the movie without that thought in mind they're like oh man randall was a nice guy at the beginning he he fell off the wall and now he hates sully okay let's get back to the like it, it felt like you know, it was a very interesting... Because Randall seemed like a somewhat big part of the movie initially. Obviously not like a, a main character. But he seemed like he would function in an important role. And then, like you said, the movie just kind of forgets about him. And that, that feels like what the script did. It just... It forgot that they had, they were trying to do something with this character and give him a proper setup. And then they just kind of threw something on at the end. And to me, sometimes I'm. I think it it can be done well, but I also, to me, I I feel like I do see it overplayed. This idea of like let's do a prequel and have somebody be the exact opposite of what they were, because I don't in life I don't think most people just jump from one extreme to the other. Like the fact that he was just this really nerdy guy who seemed mostly polite initially, and now he's like this guy bent on evil, and the other one, like, <laughs> it's they feel very like very little nuance in it it's like well he was this and then this one thing happened and everything about his entire being changed based around this one thing and i don't know it it, to me it just it feels like it it exists to be like oh you remember how he was from this well this is how it happens like or you could have just said he's just a mean guy like not every mean person had that one traumatic event that caused him to change. I don't know. It it did feel a little bit unnecessary. And I would have been more okay with the fact that they included Randall and had this big character change if they executed it properly. But or like you said, it just it felt very random. And to me, kind of it was this weird semi payoff tacked on to the the bulk of what's going on for the story. Like it's this it's this weird little moment that exists within something that's a lot more important than it. Yeah. Oh, one more positive I forgot to mention. Uh, I sort of mentioned it when I was talking about the climax, but I really like Dan Scanlon's direction of this film. It's just the visual direction. As I said before, it, it, the whole film feels like it was shot for live action. I think there's a lot of clever use of just focus. Like there's one, there's one shot in the beginning where Mike sneaks into the uh, scare floor and the camera zooms in and there's like half a second where he's out of focus and it snaps focused in real quick. It just it there's, it feels like we're watching a film that was shot with real cameras because so many animated films just they feel like oh we have freedom we can do whatever we want to make all these crazy shots and I think it loses its impact I think when, when they when they earn every moment and every visual um, just through good composition good lighting good coloring and just the, the use of shadow throughout it just feels very organic. Um, so I, I really would like to see him uh, find some more work. And I mean, anyone who can execute that, that the big scare sequence in the end deserves an, another chance. And I, I would like to see him in live action. Yeah, I, I always love it whenever um, animated movies like mimic a physical camera. Um, partially because, you know, like that's what we're familiar with. Like I, I can I watch a live action movie and I can appreciate the cinematography and you know, the camera work, because I understand, like, it's a physical thing. They're actually having to manipulate it and making, like, and earning all of these really cool shots. And it's kind of cool to see that mimicked over in the animated uh, realm 
where like you said just because you have the freedom to just do absolutely anything you want it doesn't mean that that's the best decision and sometimes ground like having the camera feel grounded kind of works better for the story and it makes it like it's almost like something subconsciously and it's just we recognize it more as a movie when the camera does that and i just think it looks cooler to just floating camera moving around as if it's just kind of this floating spectator feels less i don't know and maybe just because i'm used to movies but it feels less um it makes the story feel less tangible like it's it's not really happening and it very quickly loses its impact and its wow factor like watch robert zemeckis's uh motion capture films like a Polar Express or Beowulf or uh, or a Christmas Carol, and which is odd because I think he is one of the most visually um, competent live action filmmakers out there. But for some reason, when he gets an animation, he just does anything and everything that comes to his head. Just all these crazy camera movements, and it just it, lo- it loses the impact. It, it gets really old really fast, and it makes the whole world feel fake and intangible. I think you know having these real camera techniques makes the world feel that much more tangible. Um, and also just with the, again with Dan Scanlon's direction, I think he showed a great focus on the story. I can't think of any scenes that were just like, which is a big problem with a lot of animated films, you know, where a joke for the sake of a joke, that, that were a scene that was only there for a joke. It felt like every scene had a purpose in the story. He had to focus on characters and he built it in a really... I think the flaws that are there are with the screenplay. I think he did everything, every single thing he could do to make this screenplay work as well as possible. So I, I want to see him do other stuff. So is this his only movie? Uh, yeah, he, he co-directed Mater in the Ghost Light. It was reported that he was, gonna, he was directing Cars 3, and it got me really excited, but actually that was false. Yeah. Oh. And this film was a hit, so I'm not sure what, he, what he's, what he's going to be doing next. Do you have any other dislikes? So my main two were like the fact that sometimes it feels more familiar and kind of relies on structure more than other Pixar movies. And then Randall just feels kind of random in the movie. The last one is pretty much a nitpick. Um, but it, the whole, this movie existing does contradict a line from Monsters, Inc. <laughs> yeah. We've known each other since the fourth grade. Yeah. And so... It's little things like that that do irk me. I, I, for whatever reason, like I, I like continuity. I, I, I like the idea that you know, in, in Monsters Inc. I, while I still classify it as a nitpick, I think one of the things that Monsters Inc. did say was, you know, these these are like these are the childhood friends. You know, like a lot of us have like that friend that we knew when we were like eight years old, and we grew up with and so i think a lot of their friendship in the movie is anchored with that in mind this idea that they had that they they're friends for life um not just friends in college and so i think the two movies do work together in terms of like its themes and things like that but it does kind of change the way you look at their dynamic in monsters inc even though it's only like a line i feel like it was kind of a line used to build or at least help the audience understand the nature of their relationship yeah i've heard uh them talk about the uh the filmmakers they actually they they know they knew about that and they said just like they actually tried 
several ways to work it into the film. But it just it just didn't work. So it's like whatever. It was just something he said to 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 denote that they've known each other a long time. So yeah, it is. It, it doesn't really bother me. It is what it is. It's kind of yeah. I I can get it though if you like the continuity. But that's it that um that I have to mention neg- negatively about it. You know, it's it. I guess this isn't really a negative because it's not that it's not funny. It is funny, and it's. I think it's consistently funny in a way that Monsters Inc. wasn't. But like I said, we never really got like the put that thing back where it came from. <laughs> like to, moment, like I think Monsters Inc. definitely just had moments of like just hilarious and like endlessly quotable. And I pro- I'll probably continue to quote Monsters Inc. more than Monsters U. Yeah. Um. And, and then the whole concept of the human world was used so creatively in like this wacky Looney Tunes way. Although, in a way, that does make me respect this film so much more for not breaking continuity and not trying to be bigger and better than uh, Monsters Inc. I think it, it, it confined itself very well to the story it knew it could tell. Yeah, it, I, that, that could have annoyed me um, if they did try to... I, I always dislike it whenever a prequel is made... And then it kind of feels like they're wanting to have made a sequel because it's like they're trying to outdo it. But then in the timeline, it's like that it no longer makes sense. So I, I do appreciate the fact... <coughs> Terminator! I, I do like the... Oh, gosh. I mean, you shouldn't even have brought that up. <laughs> but I, I do like the fact that he did have the discipline, like the he was able to contain himself to what the universe should have looked like at that time. All right, so is anything else you want to mention before we move into our final thoughts? Uh, I think that should be it. All right, I'll start. Um, again, I mean, we really mentioned everything. I like, I just, I think this is a very enjoyable film. Even even when it's it's like diving into these old cliches, I think it does it in a fun, clever way. I, I personally have zero problem with cliches if the film earns them and earns their usage and does it and executes them well. And I think this film does. Uh, but also, as we said, I think it gets better with each consecutive act. And I think the ending, the entire last half hour is pure Pixar material that stands up with all with a lot of the great the great things they've done. Um, no, it's, it's not up. It's not Ratatouille. It's not Toy Story. But, I mean, a studio can't make uh, up every single time they make a movie. So I, I think w- even, w- even when they're down, they're giving us really solid films that, that – improve uh, that improve their uh, sequels and just give us a very give us solid arc solid characters and they take a, a a theme that has been driven into the dirt so many times you know whole believe the whole believe in yourself thing and and then they take it and shape it into something far more practical and meaningful for everyday life and i can't think of a single kids film that uses that that theme and that that story arc in the way this film does, and it it, it feels true. It feels real. Like you you can't just do whatever you want because you believe in it. Stop telling your kids that. Yeah. <laughs> so one of one of my favorite things about this movie is that where you, I mean, I'm sure it may sound cynical to the people who love that, but it's like it's not really great advice if you can be, if you can dream it, you can achieve it. Like it's well, you know, maybe that's not what we tell our kids. I like the fact that the movie, it presents something that is more practical and more this idea that's more grounded in reality, but it still offers hope. Like it's yeah, yeah. There's there's still an outcome that you enjoy. 
there's there's still you may not be doing exactly what you thought or wanted initially but that's okay like there's still it's not like it's the end of the world and there are other ways in which you can use all of the all of your desires just maybe what you're doing is a little bit different than what you thought and so i like the fact that i can actually like get behind the message and agree with it um and then really probably my favorite thing is the fact that they did a lot with Mike and Sully in terms of like character works that I don't even think was necessary that a lot of people probably wouldn't even have expected. Um, I think they gave them both really, really solid arcs. Um, it, it felt natural. They, they used cliches and then they kind of turned them on their head. Well, I wouldn't even say they kind of used cliches and turned them on their head with these characters. They, they more of just put them in a position that could have been a cliche, but never really let them become one. Um, And so overall, just very well-written and rounded uh, characters. And, you know, a lot of people, myself included, like I said, this is the first time I'd actually seen it, kind of wrote it off because it, whether this is true or not, it kind of seemed as if it was just, you know, a cash-in on a movie that a lot of people like. Uh, But I do think you know, seeing it myself, it's unfair to do that to a movie because that may not even have been the intention of the actual crew and the director and the people working on it. Um, and so watching the movie for what it is, I think it's actually a really good movie. Yeah, there is passion on screen. And I can't help but like that. And I like what you said, how it doesn't crush little kids' souls. It, it leaves them with hope. You know, your your passion, you can use your passion, just, just point it in the right direction and be aware of your weaknesses and then move from there. Just because you can't be exactly what you want doesn't mean you have to have a life in screen can design. You can, you know, take it and just mold, mold your dream to something that is uh, realistic and practical. Yeah. And that's something that we don't see. We almost every kid's movies, it's all, it's all about folk. Like what's great about you? Like what is everything you're good at? You are wonderful and you are special. And it's like, that's all great to tell a kid. It's it's good to encourage a kid and point out what they're good at. But the idea that the movie is kind of like, be aware of, of maybe your, of your weaknesses and try to find something that you as a person, all of your pros and cons can fit into. And I've, I don't know, it's, it's weird to see that in a kid's movie, but I think it's refreshing. You're not special. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a snowflake. Yeah. All right. So uh, that was our review of Monsters University. Um, we hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, I'd like to ask you to please go and please leave us a review on iTunes. Um, yeah. Um, so next week, I think if everything goes according to plan, we will be reviewing uh, John Carter with Chad Hopkins. He was on for our review of Prince of Persia. Review of Pr- Prince of Persia: Sands of Time and uh, Beauty and the Beast. So that, I'm really looking forward to that. I, which is funny because that was uh, that was directed by Andrew Stanton, who is uh, one of the head honchos over at Pixar. That, that's going to be fun. And uh, so if you want to follow us, you can like us on Facebook. Feel free to comment with any uh, films you think are underrated. And if you want to find older episodes, you can find them at our website, underratedpodcast.com. And you can always follow us on Twitter at underrated underscore pod. And if you want to follow me, I am on Letterboxd, uh, it's a, a social networking site for film buffs. I uh, log and review most of the films I see. Uh, I'm there as Gabriel Green. Uh, I am also on Letterboxd as J.L. Hamry. It's J-L-H-A-M-R-I. And I, like Gabe, I usually try to review most of the movies I watch, at least the newer movies that I watch, um, as well as just use it for myself to keep up with the absurd amount of movies that I've seen at this point. (laughs) 
So, until next week when we watch John Carter, which is definitely very underrated, we will see you later. See ya. My dear Edgar, I remember how I used to take you on my knee and tell you wild tales which you always did me the great courtesy of believing. Now you are grown. Time and space have parted us, but I reach out across that distance to that same wide-eyed boy and ask him to believe me once more. This wild tale begins 13 years ago, in the Arizona Territory, between the Pinaleño Mountains and the backside of hell.